Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to the Lord's Podcast with Will Rowe. Well, welcome along and thanks for tuning in. We hear from Mahela Jayawardner, Ian Bell and Ravi Bapara discuss Joss Butler being mancadded and get excited about Team Shane and Team Sachin ahead of the MCC Rest of the World Clash. And there's also a word from Shane Warne on day-night tests. I'm joined by England cricketer Heather Knight and the editor of the Cricketer magazine, Mr Andrew Miller. Welcome both. How are we? Good afternoon. Very well, thanks. I'm very well, thank you, Will. Nice to be a Lords. Always. Always good to be at Lords. Favourite ground? Yeah, favourite ground in England, definitely, without a doubt. Lucky enough to play a few times, so yeah, looking forward to it. Lovely. Well, um, first thing I'd like to do in the podcast is do hashtag Ask Heather. We'll have a few questions in on Twitter from various uh, listeners to the podcast. So, um, Heather, yeah, first one, fire away. It's um, from Barath. Who's your favourite teammate? Ooh, favourite teammate, that's a difficult one. Uh, We tend to have teammates for very different moods. We've got every teammate under the book. So, favourite teammate will probably have to be Laura Marsh for very good storytelling. We haven't had Laura in the squad for a while. She's been injured, uh, so looking forward to having her back, hopefully, this summer. And uh, the next one from Georgia, who I believe used to do a bit of work in the MCC Library, actually. Um, Do you think being a a fully professional cricketer has changed your perspective on the sport as a career for you, uh, this, well, coming off the recent news that the women are now fully professional? Um, I don't think it's sort of changed my perspective too much. I think now a professional, I guess, we've sort of talked about it as a squad, how sort of maybe it brings sort of added pressure and um, greater sort of responsibility and sort of accountability if we don't sort of perform well. Um, but I don't think that's sort of a negative thing. I think that's almost a good thing. It's a great opportunity for us sort of as a, as a squad to, to push the game and the standard forward. And I think... No, I don't think it's changed my perspective too much. I still still love playing cricket and it's it's still the same game and it's still a huge honour to play for England, but it's even more special now we get sort of paid to do it and just sort of thankful for all to peop- the people that have played before me that sort of played it through the love and, yeah, it's a pretty special time to be involved in women's cricket. With that, a lot of the women players work for Chance to Shine and do the coaching, which used to yeah. supplement your income because um, you weren't fully professional. Is that going to continue or do you think that might take a little bit of a hit? Yeah, so we're all, all the current ambassadors for Chat Shine are going to carry on their roles. And we've also, a few of the younger girls, I think three, um, making eight 
ambassadors all together are gonna gonna work for Chance to Shine. So we'll do slightly less hours for Chance to Shine, but it was something we all sort of spoke about. And we all really wanted to carry on just because um, something we love doing, uh, love going into schools and and sort of get girls and boys playing cricket. And I think it was it was the right thing to do that Chance to Shine have kind of been really good to us while we were amateur and. Yes, if we've got the time to do it, we we love to do it, and um, we're all going to continue, which is great. Just on on that note, I mean, I was down here very fortunate to be down here to watch the the women's game, uh, the MCC Rest of the World women's game a few weeks back, and then the following morning, uh, it was nine o'clock start for you guys <laughs> after a long night in the tavern to to come out back here for the Spirit of Cricket Open Day, six hundred kids all running around, and it was very interesting actually to 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 view the two things as 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 a one entity really, just uh, you know is very much a part of being professional was this ambassadorial uh, role model role that, that that you have and you know that that's as much a part of being professional cricketers as far as I can tell for the women is inspiring the next generation it, it, it's as it's as important in my opinion as actually getting out there and playing and Heather I know you've got a, a sort of a personal connection with Rwanda which is also about sort of promoting cricket in well, a completely different environment to, to Lords. Can you just sort of expand a little bit on your work with the Rwanda Cricket Association? Yeah, I was lucky enough um, to go on a trip, trip out to Rwanda uh, just for the World Cup, actually, uh, for the Rwandan Cricket Stadium Foundation. So their aim, sort of with the MCC as well, um, is to build a cricket stadium out there. I actually went and played on the only cricket ground out there and it was um, very different to our setting at Lords this evening. Um, sort of a concrete strip, sort of three patchwork quilts of Astro put together and it was actually the site of a, a massacre in the genocide back in 94 so yeah to go out there was amazing um, to meet some of the people involved in that and and also see people that sort of haven't got a lot and, and cricket is is amazing for them to kind of get them meet new people and, and obviously with the genocide in Rwanda it's kind of um, quite important to sort of bring people together over there and yeah it was just a it was a real eye-opening trip actually and yeah, so along the same sort of lines of chance to shine to sort of get people into cricket and um, see how it actually it does change lives. A bit of a cliche, but um, yeah, it was a great trip over there and uh, looking forward to doing a bike ride for them in September. So that'll be good fun with a few of the girls. Um, who's and doing yeah. that then? Who's involved in the bike ride? Well, it's myself, uh, Charlotte, uh, Lydia and Jenny. So we're going to do it for the Rwandan Cricket Stadium Foundation and also chance to shine. So... Really? Yeah, yes, we'll get to, getting lacquered up. I have to read all about that in Lydia's column, the cricketer. <laughs> <laughs> is, there place, good, good <laughs> is there a place where people can sponsor you? Is it all up and running yet, or is there will be a place, um, but it's as of yet not not um, a firm place. So there will be in the coming months. Okay, well, watch this space. Watch this space. <laughs> and your final Twitter question comes from Mia. Who is your favourite England men's cricketer? Oh wow, favourite men's cricketer. Um, that's a difficult one, really. There's quite a few few new faces in the squad for Thursday, so I'd have to say probably probably Cookie, the way he kind of relentlessly scores runs or has done in the past, and and just kind of his approach to the game is is something as an opening batter as well that I've I've really respected, and and yeah, hopefully he'll be back in the runs again soon and doing well as captain. Don't know who your favourite cricketer is, Andrew. Not well, to put you on the spot. Well, my favourite of all time, Angus Fraser, um, wrote about it. Many moons ago, uh, along those lines, I first saw him in 1990. But my, probably my favourite of the current crop. I've, I've always enjoyed working alongside Matt Pryor in, 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 in media capacity. He's always very open, very honest, very approachable, and just a nice bloke, I find. Well, that helps segue into our next section. Uh, as discussed at the top of the programme, we're going to talk a little bit about Butler being man-cadded. 
Um, I'll throw it straight open. I don't think I need to give this too much of an, <laughs> too much of an introduction. Um, well, was the right result reached? I'll, I'll, I'll tee off on this one, shall I? I? I think it was, to be honest. I mean, you know, especially being at Lords and all the all the talk of the spirit of cricket, etc. You certainly feel the spirit of cricket when you're sat up here in the media centre. But I don't believe that that, it, that there was anything particularly untoward that day. He was warned twice for encroaching. And more to the point, we had Mahela Jai Warden there in the press conference afterwards making, making a very fair point that when Joss Butler ran and Ravi Papara literally ran uh, Sri Lanka so close in the ODI here a few days earlier, they ran 22 pairs of twos to, to come within seven runs of winning the Test match. And to run twos when you should only be getting one means you, you're probably starting a little bit further down the pitch than maybe you would if you were back in your crease. So it was a tr- strategic decision, possibly a little... They possibly push this. It's thing. always a controversial one, though, isn't no, it? it is. Being man cadded. Because it happens. I mean, I've played in games in club cricket where it happens, and it does leave a. It's a bitter taste in the mouth, isn't it? I mean, Heather, have you got. Are you allowed to comment on this one? Or? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's difficult, isn't it? Um, was Butler trying to sort of steal a run? He was a couple of yards down the pitch, and I, I'm not too sure if it makes a huge amount of difference. But as a player and as a batter, um, I guess it's something you don't really want to see in the game, but um, coming down to the letter of law, Butler was was in the wrong and, and he was out. Um, there was actually a time in New Zealand when we went out there two or three years ago now, there was a, there's a girl in the New Zealand team who was sort of renowned for doing it in state cricket, um, so which we were actually aware of and, and, and we sort of made, made sure we were fully in the crease when, when she was bowling and she did actually stop in her action a few times and because we were fully in the crease, we would <laughs> kind of say sort of, made her look a bit like an idiot because we, we, we were in the crease and and she was obviously looking for it and, and we obviously weren't trying to steal a run. So I think as I think Butler will learn from it and, and so will the England boys, but it's, I guess it's something you don't really want to see in the game and if you go into schools, you don't want to see sort of young kids copying it on the telly. Yeah, I, I, I would, agree with, would agree with that. I, I, I think that's a fair point to make, but equally, I also feel that you know a little bit of needle is not necessarily a bad thing in a game of cricket. You know, you want to play play hard, play fair. I think is the, is the spirit of cricket motto, and that essentially is what happened. They played hard, a very close to the bone spiritual cricket thing, but it was fair. It was within the laws, and so you know, and and frankly, you saw the way that Alistair Cook wagged his finger at the end of the test. So I'll see you at Lords, essentially, but set the set the test series up very nicely. I mean, you know, there's 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 a lot to play for all of a sudden, where maybe you know people might have just started casting a glance ahead to India and five tests against India. Now we've got two very important tests coming up uh, in 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 the more immediate future. So it's created a bit of needle in the game, and therefore we've got um, a more exciting test series ahead of us. Damn right. We do like a controversy in cricket, don't we? Keeps it interesting. That's exactly. why we love it. <laughs> Lovely. Well, now let's turn our attentions to the MCC versus the rest of the world game. Uh, the full sides have been announced, and in the final instalment, as it were, it's been confirmed that Brian Lara and Aaron Finch will feature in the match here at Lords on Saturday, July the 5th. Sachin Tendulkar will captain MCC, while Shane Warne will captain the rest of the world sides. Now, uh, recently on the podcast, we've been picking people's England side, who, who they think will be in the first test, but I'd like the two of you to have a look at the teams in front of you and pick the, um, the Knight Miller <laughs> MCC rest of the world Super Eleven, as it were. Well, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, if you, were to, you could almost pick two teams, the, the team that would do best on the day, given that half the guys are, are retirement age, 
and the team that is just the greatest team ever. So I suppose the greatest team ever is probably the more interesting one. But yeah, definitely. There's yeah. a few stars in there, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, Tendulkar and Warner are clearly shoo-ins, but openers-wise, I mean, who have we got? Shall we start? Yeah, let's start. Yeah. Who, who are you having opening the batting? I'd well, go Finch, I think, definitely. Yeah. One day international, so. Yeah, well, fair point, fair point. Is it good Nick as well? Yeah, and guess on that note, you've got Gilchrist and Seawag, so who would we, who would we have? I mean, Seawag, I mean, he's, he's. Although Gilchrist did get that monstrous 100 in the World Cup final, so it's a difficult one to balance out. But he's definitely in as a wicketkeeper, so let's go for Seawag to open and have Gilchrist in as a wicketkeeper further down. It's a shame. It's nice to have uh, Devon Boy, Chris Reed in, but I think uh, Gilchrist, <laughs> Gilchrist might just edge in there. He might just. So, what's that? Then we need number three now. So, well, it's it's hard to look beyond Drawwood in any format, is it? He's he's got to be in there. Yeah, definitely. So we're having Raul Drawwood at number three. Raul Drawwood yeah. at three. Anchor at three. And then got to be Sashin at four. Surely. Sashin at four and Lara at five. Well, he'll be a bit miffed about that, but you know, needs must. I quite like to see. Um, a rock at number six, maybe an Englishman, Paul yeah, Collingwood. Yeah, let's get him think? in there, damn right. Got Collingwood. Like, well, he's still England's leading, yeah. or you think he wasn't until Ian Bell, I was having the other day, didn't he? But he's, he's been England's leading run scorer on one day, one day internationals for an awfully long time. So. Yeah, yeah. before the flare of the top five doesn't quite pay off, and exactly. then you've got a rock to steady the innings, exactly. knock it around. 40 for five on Nothing a, on a Lord's Green top. Exactly. Uh, so, Two seamers as well. So that's that's our batsman. So we've got, our, we got um, number seven's Gilchrist. So who's our been well worn worn at eight for, for a bit of spin i guess would be a good fit wouldn't he yeah and then oh hello we've, oh. we've overlooked someone rather massive who's that kp i think i've got a birth for kp well you've you've admitted him we have that's a, that's a tricky one isn't by it? default by default but collingwood over kp you know you've got you've got to have the balance though you've got to have the you've balance. got to have the balance you've got to have that rocket six yeah we've got we've got rahul dravid providing a bit of stability and collingwood providing a bit of stability Who's our 9, 10 and 11 then? I'd quite like to see Vittori in there. Best best number 9 in the world. It's a fair point. And a little bit left armour, a little bit different. Yeah. Okay, so, so we've got two, and I. two spinners. We need, well, we need two seamers to finish it then. So, Umar Gull's an awesome one-day bowler. Yeah, brilliant yeah. with a white ball. Yeah, he, we'll get him in there. And so who does that time. leave seamer-wise? Brett Lee, I suppose. Might have to be another Australian. Yeah, I think so. Sean Tate, Brett Lee and Peter Siddle. Those are your three that you've got left. I think Tino as well, Tino Best. Tino yeah, Best, yeah. the windows. I think, you know, Brett Lee is, what, is he twice a World Cup winner. I think that's probably probably sufficient to get him, get him yeah, a berth, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think it? Brett Lee. So the controversy there is KP. But, but then it wouldn't, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be KP <laughs> if there wasn't controversy. So the controversy so is KP. Where have you heard that before? <laughs> so, so, so you've left out in your, in your 11. You don't have Matima or Lithran. No. No, he's not made it. Sean Harsh. Tate, the Express. Harsh, but mm. fair. Chandra Paul, Said Ajmal. Oh, Chandra Paul. Yeah. Peter Siddle. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show, just basically, the, the, um, the team, the two teams on offer. Um, so we'll just go <laughs> through that. Money. You've got Aaron Finch and uh, Verinda Sewag opening. Raul Dravid at three. Sachin Tendulkar at four. Brian Lara at five. Paul Collingwood, six. Uh, Gilchrist keeping wicket at seven. Shane Warner at eight, Daniel Vittori at nine, Umar Gul and Brett Lee to finish off. And KP is 12th man, that'll, 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 that'll <laughs> please him. <laughs> um, so are, you, are the two of you looking forward to this match? Yeah. Yes, yep. I'm definitely coming along, so really can't wait actually. It was, actually, it was one of my, my, genuinely my earliest cricket memory was um, the 1987 Rest of the World game. Um, it, I just, the one thing I do remember, above all else, what would I, I would have been nine I suppose, so... 
old enough to sort of start getting it, but not old enough to get the nuances. And I remember um, Mike Gatting getting getting out and walking straight off the pitch, saying, right, that's it, I'm done, I'm, I'm out, so I'm going to walk off. He was declaring, but it just looked like he was stropping to me. He was like, he's, he's taking his bat and going home and taking his team with him. I thought, that's a bit odd. But uh, that's, that's the thing that stuck in my mind above all else. Above all those hundreds and the glorious glorious run out of Graham Gooch and all the other things that happened. It's the uh, Roger Harper run out. Roger Harper run out. When he just turned terrible. and threw it down in one yeah. one motion. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Lords is famous for having these MCC v Rest of the World matches. Of course, there was a, a very special one this year as well. It was the first women's one, which Heather, you played in and, well, you scored a lovely 50. So tell us a little bit about that day. Yeah, what a great day it was. Um, first time the MCC have done a women's game. So great to have a team from the rest of the world. Some of the sort of names in, in that team was amazing and uh, to kind of play against them I think we did quite well to get within 40 of them in, with the England team in the end um, but no brilliant day um, really enjoyed by everyone involved I think and it's always special to play at Lords and and quite nice um, to be involved in that kind of game as well uh, without the added pressures of playing for England uh, but still haven't won at Lords <laughs> uh, <laughs> in four goes I still haven't won um, we've got a one day international here later in the year against India so We'll be hoping to break that trend, hopefully. It's not a very nice statistic. Break your duck. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it was an amazing day. It was really, really enjoyable, I mean, particularly as I was up in the President's Box, which is always, always a bonus. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but no, it was, it was particularly special because, as you say, the quality of the teams was, it was incredible. And again, that, that, that sort of rang true back in 1987. The reason that I really pricked my ears up was that anyone who was anyone was playing. I mean, whether it was Gavaskar or Imran or, or Gooch or... Marshall, they were all there, and likewise, the you know the rest of the world team was was a who's who of, of all the best women's cricketers yeah. from around the world, and you know that's the sort of thing you you know with respect to the team that that's been put out for the men's game, it's a very good team, but it's not the absolute cream of the international crop in the way that the women's game was. So it was a, it was a special occasion. It's nice to nice to believe that 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 you can actually just just. Flip into your phone book, ring up the best players in the world, and say, "Come and play this game," and they and they turn up. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a really good showcase for women's cricket as well. It shows sort of how far the games games come, and sort of just the the players on show for the rest of the world and for the England team as well was just made for a great game, and hopefully everyone that came to watch was entertained. Yeah, I was going to say with with the women's the women's match in particular, um, did you think that you'd get to a stage in women's cricket where you'd have a game with that? rest of the world side I mean a couple of years ago sitting here you probably wouldn't have imagined Elise Perry Mitali Raj you know playing on the same side at Lords against the MCC or you guys who were made up basically of the England women and a couple of others uh, Claire Taylor who just retired but came back for the game which was lovely yeah it was a bit surreal really um, I remember sitting on the balcony and kind of looking down and seeing Deandra Dotting at long on and then um, Meg Lanning at long off so <laughs> Yeah, it was quite strange. It was really nice, though. I think sort of the girls uh, from the rest of the world sort of obviously sharing the same dressing room all gone really well, which um, is strange considering sort of they're still playing against each other and <laughs> still obviously very competitive. Um, but no, it was, it was a brilliant day and yeah, I never really imagined that, that it would take place, but great that sort of the MCC hosted it and, and got all the best players in the world involved. And yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll um, come back next year, maybe. Well, lovely. Now, it's long been an aim of MCC to uh, bring in day-night test cricket as a way of reinvigorating spectator numbers in certain parts of the cricketing world. I recently spoke to Australian legend Shane Warne and asked him if he'd welcome day-night test cricket. I'm a traditionalist, I suppose. I like to see white clothes and uh, 
a red ball, but um, I'm all for innovation if it's improving the game. I don't like change for the sake of it. I think if it's a change to improve the game, then that's okay. Um, so let, yeah, let's try it. But what we don't want to see is the bowlers all over the batsman. The batsman can't pick it up because, as I said, we want to see a contest. So if the batsman can pick it up okay, uh, it doesn't do anything silly under lights, and um, then it, when it works and the public like it, then uh, that's great. Let's give it a go. But um, as I said, I'm not for change unless it's for the better. Shane Warne on the prospects of day-night test matches there. It's final line. He's not for change unless it's for the better. Um, Andrew, where do you stand on the idea of day-night test cricket? Well, I, I, I thought he summed up very nicely there. I think it, I think it is important, and I think test cricket has shown in, in the fact that it's still going strong after, what, 135 years or whatever, that it is an, it is has this odd ability to adapt to the environment in which it is played. And, you know, you... You've seen that from from body line through um, you know the, the the four quicks of the West Indies through Shane Warne's own own ability to to change the game by by reintroducing leg spin. There, there there has been this ability of Test cricket to evolve and adapt to its environment, and the environment we're in at the moment is one whereby people are losing the ability to put aside five days to to just sit and watch a cricket match. But you know if it does shift its time zone and you know starts at starts at tea time and finishes at midnight. By definition, people will not be working. They might be able to go and watch, just as we've seen in 2020 cricket, people turn up after work and, and stadiums are packed because they can get there. They can actually be present at an event. And so, you know, if it does adapt to new realities, I'm all for it. I think it's important that, that Test Cricket does innovate. And we've seen, you know, again, with uh, the way Steve Waugh's Australians managed to, managed to sort of take the tempo of, of one-day cricket and suddenly start scoring 300 in a, runs in a day as standard. And now we've got 2020 players like David Warner coming through and, and, and making their mark in Test cricket. Um, there's absolutely no reason why Test cricket can't adapt to what is, frankly, a good idea and, and one that will actually help the game in the future. Can you see why some people would, be, would object to something which is... You could say it's almost fundamentally changing the game in, in, in the time at which it's, which it's played. I mean, that, that, is a, that is a potentially a huge change for, for some of the test matches. Potentially a huge, huge change, but then changes have happened in other ways that are possibly less, less obvious. I mean, the, you know, think of the size of bats, for instance. That, that, that has changed. The bat, the bat that you use in a test match today is not the same bat that Bradman used, but, uh, but yet you still try and compare like, like for like when it comes to averages. And so, you know, I think... I, I would love, to be honest, I would love to watch a session of cricket when you know the sun is just starting to set, and you've got Mitchell Johnson warming up to take the new ball, and you've got a guy who's well set, and you think, right, okay, this next period of cricket is going to be immense because you know if he can get through this changing period, just as you know you have to get through deterioration of pitches as as the fifth. Heather's face <laughs> when you said the sun is about to set, Mitchell Johnson <laughs> has got the ball, was not one of a, a batsman uh, relishing that opportunity. No, I think I'd be back enough to square leg if that's <laughs> happening. Um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously the conditions, having played in sort of day-night matches, are extremely different um, during the day and, and during the night. It, it skids on a bit more, dew comes comes into play. And I probably have to agree with Shane there. I think, um, for me, there's nothing better to going along to a test match, a whole day at the test match, sort of in the English summertime with a Red Bull, sort of spending all day there in the sun, hopefully. <laughs> probably not in England, though. Um, and watching the game, but um, I don't know what I'm all for innovation. Why don't Why don't we try it? But like Shane says, I think we have to find something that works. And I think um, as a batter, it's probably hard for me to say this, but I think a lot of the changes sort of have been in batsmen's favour in the recent years. And 
maybe sort of this one might be sort of in the bowler's favour, uh, might nip around and do a little bit more under lights. Yeah. But the other key thing he said was as long as the batsman can see it, and that's absolutely fundamental. You know, if if the pink ball and you know the trials are ongoing, and you know there'd be mixed reviews in some places, some places they've been less mixed. But as long as that pink ball or whatever it turns out to be is a ball that can be seen in daylight and nighttime and twilight, then bring it on. Frankly, I think it's good for the game. History and cricket with the Lord's podcast. Now, it's the most famous walking cricket, coming out of the players' dressing room, down past the portraits of cricketing greats, through the long room, and finally out onto the concourse, and then onto the hallowed turf at Lords. Um, here, Sri Lanka's Mahela Jai Wardner, England's Ian Bell, and Ravi Bapara describe just how it feels to make that walk. You, you've always known about walking through the long room. Um, that's, that's a tradition that uh, only, only at Lords that happens, and... And it's been the same way all the times I've walked through that. So the first time I was a bit nervous, but after that, gotten used to it, and, and it, it's a very special moment. You still have that same feeling as if it's your first time. It's um, the reason why you play cricket. It ha- you have those sort of nerves and those butterflies come back. It is, it is one of the best walks, yeah, you know, at Lords. Walking in through the, through the long room, there's a lot of noise in the long room. Um, walking, when you're walking out to bat, when you're walking back in as well. So it's a, it's a brilliant place to play cricket. Ravi Bapara there summing it up quite nicely then. It's a brilliant place to play cricket. I think that's a fair assumption. <laughs> yeah, it is indeed. Um, I remember the first time I played here actually, um, probably about four years ago. Um, I, I'm glad I was opening the batting. I was a bit worried about getting lost. So um, luckily I was opening and uh, wasn't in too much trouble. Uh, but no, it was great. I remember walk, walking through the long room the first time and, and sort of hearing the members sort of clap and, and sort of make a lot of noise for for the England team and a few comments here and there um, and yeah I got goosebumps the first time I did it and yeah and it's, it's still special every time we play here and yeah definitely the best walking cricket. Some interesting portraits as well. Yeah we're well, talking portraits this leads nicely into... Good segue there. Yeah good segue. <laughs> Brilliant. The, uh, yeah well there's recently been a rehang in the pavilion and they've, they've moved some of the portraits about and Andrew you've uh, You've done some research and put together a very nice article. Well, indeed, it all it all came off the back of a drunken conversation with Adam Chadwick, the curator, after the Wizen dinner. We, 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 I, 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 you know, it's like it's like when someone notices, you know, a new haircut or whatever. I made the point to him: you've got new pictures on the walls. He said, "Yes, someone's noticed," <laughs> and immediately took me off on a on a whistle stop tour around all the staircases to talk me through uh, some of the some of the stories behind the pictures because that's the most interesting thing. And immediately it was obvious that it's you know. It's not just that there are great pictures, there are great stories behind the pictures, and particularly I found on the, uh, the away staircase, um, you know, the, the, the home staircase has got all these great former England captains uh, from Jardine to, to Gooch, etc. But they're, they're slightly more staid, with honourable exception of Michael Vaughan, they're, they're slightly more sort of stiff and blazed and, and, and not very relaxed. Whereas on the away dressing room, they, they've got you know some of the most awesome paintings I've ever seen. I mean, there's this one of uh, Viv Richards that is just immense. It, it it was actually painted using a hand drill. This is the most this is the most fascinating thing that uh, that I was told. The, 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 it was painted the, using a hand drill. Yeah, the the, yeah. the, the painter knew nothing about um, about the pro about Viv Richards. So Brendan Kelly, the painter, was was, um, was commissioned to paint Viv Richards, but knew nothing about cricket, knew nothing about Viv Richards, except that he was called the Master Blaster. And so I thought, that's cool. I wonder how I can convey the notion of master blasting onto a picture. So he got a hand draw and whizzed every every single one of his brush strokes onto the canvas instead of just using conventional stroke, 
So there you go. That's that's one such story. Well, I'd struggle to use a paintbrush, I think. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, it, well, apparently he put cling film down to make sure that all the paint splattered in the right place. So he'd try it out, and if it looked right, he'd take the cling film away and do it again. It was a laborious process. But my, my, fav- my favourite story concerns uh, one of the most objectionable men I've ever met, Dalit Vensaka. Uh, I, can, I can say this. I bumped into him in, in Mumbai just randomly. You know, you bump into, my God, it's Dalit Vensaka. Sort of Were you there on work? With I, was there, I was there. I was there. I was there. On so it wasn't that random. Well, it was the way you said that was like you walked into Mumbai. And he well, was just literally, there. it was in the middle of <laughs> Mumbai, Madan. It was the middle of Mumbai, Madan. So you know, lots of lots of games of of, 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 of street cricket taking place, and then Dilip Vinsarkas in the middle of it. Huh? It's Dilip Vinsarkas. So I went up to shake his hand. Hello, Dilip Vinsarkas. I'm a great fan of yours. I watched your century here at Lords and blah blah blah. And he just looked down his nose at me and walked away. It was charming. And it turns out I'm not the only one. Apparently, he we, when he was commissioned, his painting was commissioned. Um, he was so objectionable to the to the painter, he didn't turn up in his whites and just generally treated the whole process as as as, as a chore. And so, uh, if you look closely at the painting. Um, the bale is missing from his off stump. He's been bald in his own picture. So that, that was the artist's revenge. So he's got back at him. <laughs> yeah, got back at him. So he put dark clouds, dark stormy clouds in the background and painted him in, in, his, in, his, in his black shoes instead of, instead of cricket boots just, just, to, just to make the point that, you know, you, you really weren't buying into this process. And then next to him we've got Bishan Beatty who's, who's all, 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 all joy and happiness and delighted to be asked to, asked to be painted. So he's got a nice bright sunny background and he's got perfect whites and nice smile, etc. You know, artists artists can can, can can have you if you know when when your when your portrait is commissioned. Heather, just bear that in mind. You know, don't uh, don't be nice to the artist. Yeah, be nice to the artist. Yeah, make sure you turn up in your whites or whatever they ask you oh, to yeah. do. <laughs> <laughs> or they'll have you clean bold in the background. <laughs> um, clearly, if you're listening to this, you can't see the the paintings you're describing. But we do have the online collection at Lords, which is on our website, lords.org. Just go onto that and uh, follow the relevant links, and you can see all the paintings. They're all online. Or you can uh, purchase the current edition of the Cricketer magazine, and they're all in there as well. Indeed. So there you go. Happy well, uh, to finish off the podcast, I'd like to do the, the Bicentenary podcast quiz, Ooh. which I must admit, I think I forgot. Dreadful at quizzes. <laughs> well, this one's a bit of potluck. Um, basically, all you have to do is pick between, well, I'll give you a cricketer and a non-cricketer, famous people, and uh, you just have to tell me who is older. So... Um, Oh, That's no. it, really. It's, it's the best of five. It's like a penalty shootout. Okay. You're going up against each other. It's none of my teammates in this, are there? Um, no, I don't <laughs> think good. there are. Although your teammate, Sarah Taylor, I believe, she won her attempt at it. She beat okay. Lizzie Ammon, legside Lizzie. So um, you've got a lot to live up to there. Lots of pressure. So, lots of pressure. So, Heather, we can have you going first. And uh, Andrew, you can go second uh, to start off with. Right. So the first one, quite simply... Who is older between Ian Botham, who is a cricketing legend, and a musical legend, Prince? Oh, God. I'm going to have to go with Prince. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, Botham turned 50 in November 2005 because I was in the Faisal Bud test. So, what would that make him? That makes him 59. God, how's he how that happen? I think you're probably right. Mine's a guess. You've gone on yeah, lots of logic. So. Well, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to work out the logic there, but Prince, <laughs> Prince has been around for donkeys years, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, both are 59. Like he, he looks good for yeah, tonight. Doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So you're both going for both of them? No, I said Prince, the Prince is older. Prince is older and both I, are older. I, I actually think Prince is older. I agree. So you both think Prince yeah. is older? Yeah. Well, you're both wrong. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, Ian Botham is in fact older. 
Was he 59? 58 probably, but... He was born in November 1955, and Prince was born in June 1958. Okay, fair enough. So there's, uh, yeah, three years in it. Well, nil-nil after the first so, one. So, fan, no, no, point, no, point, no, no point in extra knowledge when you get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Um, next one, uh, Andrew, you can go first on okay. this one. Alan Knott, former England wicketkeeper, or the current England football manager, Roy Hodgson? Hmm. Right, so Notty would have been. There's no point in any maths here. I'm going to go for Notty. Oh, God. Right, another guess from me, and I'm going to go against Andrew. I'm going to go with Hodgson. Oh, well, we have our first score, of course, and Alan Knott is indeed older. So Get in. Andrew goes. <laughs> <laughs> so gracious. <laughs> one nil up with three to play. Um, Heather, you go first on this one. Um, former international umpire, Simon Talfull, or Christian Bale, the actor. Okay. I was referring to the other one. Um, I think Bale might be older. Mm. No logic again, just just pure guesswork. Well, Tolfall was absurdly young when he started being an international umpire. That's all I know. So he's by definition he must still be absurdly. But hang on, Christian Bale was the was the kid in um, uh, Empire of the Sun, wasn't he? So how when was that? That was nineteen eighty nine. He must be about eleven. So that would make I'm making I'm making the same age as me. So surely Tolfall's older than me. So I'm going to go Tolfall. So you're saying Tolfall and you're saying Bale, Heather? Yep. Okay, well, Andrew oh, no. takes a 2-0 lead. It's an understandable lead. Oh. Well, no, you can pull it back. Um, we've still got two to go. Two to go. Two to go. Here we go. Um, Andrew, you go first on this one. I don't really need to introduce these two. Richie Benno or the Queen? <laughs> oh, God. Well, they one of the same. <laughs> um, right. So Richie Benno, a Queen would... Queen would is it my turn to go first? Yes, yes, it is. So first. the Queen was nineteen in nineteen fifty two. Got a better memory than I have. And Richie Benno would have been, well, hang on, he would have been nineteen fifty six. He definitely played, so he would have been a young man in nineteen fifty six. Would he have been twenty three? I think he would have been older than that. I think Richie Benno's older. Ever? I think the Queen is Queen still in her eighty, so I'm going to go. Benno is older as well. Oh, well, you both got it wrong. <laughs> God. Which, um, <laughs> the Queen is indeed older, but I won't give her age away, as I'm a gentleman. Uh, <laughs> Never tell a lady's age. Uh, finally, it's still 2-0 to Andrew, 1 to go, but um, why not just finish off? Um, Aussie wicketkeeper Adam Gilchrist or current Labour leader Ed Miliband? Heather, you go first. Edmund always reminds me of Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> <laughs> um, who's older? I think Adam Gilchrist. Gilly might just be slightly older. Uh, okay. One for one point. So Gilchrist was absurdly old when he made his debut in 1908. So take it back to born in 1970, so roughly. Uh, I think Gilchrist just... So you've gone for both on for Gilchrist. Middleband is older by two years. Oh, well, there we go. So wow. there you go. Donuts for me, no score. <laughs> no score, yeah. So it finishes 2-0 to um, Andrew. 
So well, well played. done, Andrew. Well, <laughs> well, thank you very much for doing <laughs> the bicentenary quiz. Um, just to finish off, what have you got in the next sort of month coming up then, Heather? Um, we'd, we've got lots of training, to be honest. Now we're professionals, so we're up as a up at Loughborough as a squad every week, uh, training together. And we've also got county and club games. Uh, we haven't got any England stuff until uh, August. Uh, we kick off our series against India at Wormsley again, so great news that we're playing there again. Um, and then we've got three ODIs against India, one of which is at the home of cricket, pleased to say. And then South Africa coming over in September, so a little bit later on this summer, so a bit of a gap before the internationals kick off, but yeah, still really excited to get going. Very busy. Well, best of luck with it all, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Cheers, Will. And Andrew, what's what's next on your agenda? Well, the next issue of the mag comes out uh, shortly, or will probably be out by the time it's come out. And we've got we've got uh, Alex Hales among our interviewees this month, so uh, talking talking to him about why he keeps getting overlooked for all sorts of uh, jobs that seem to be tailor made for him. Um, we've also got Chiteshwa Pujara previewing the uh, the India series, which should be fun, and uh, Lalit Modi teeing off. So that, that um, yeah, he's he's been lively lately. So uh, quite literally teeing quite, off. Quite literally teeing off. We got we got we got him watching the semi final of the of the IPL and uh, and getting overexcited about it. So yeah, it's quite a fun piece. Ed Hawkins, the, the, who's who's been uh, writing all sorts of books about uh, nefarious deeds, is uh, is all over that one. So that that will be in the shops uh, imminently. Great. Well, look forward to it. And again, many thank you for coming on the podcast. Always a pleasure. Great. Well, many thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next month with more cricketing stories from Lords. So remember to follow us on Twitter. Our handle's at Home of Cricket. Be our friend on Facebook. And for all the latest news from Lords, just go to lords.org. See you soon.